Welcome to the podcast of Calvary Baptist Church. We are delighted you have chosen to listen in today. It's our hope the message of Jesus will continue to spread and bear fruit, both in your life and the world around us. For more digital content, feel free to check us out on the web at calvarybcmoultrie.com. And now for today's message. Really quickly, look at the text with me again. This is an interesting text. It's one of those weird texts, like if you ever feel like as a dad, you're, you're kind of walking with your family in a Bible study, and then you get to that point about children, honor your father. Right? It's like you're teaching them to do unto you as God says that you... And that's very similar to this text. It's, it has some innuendos of the beautiful relationship of a pastor and his people. A pastor and what they call God's flock here. And two quick things that we just need that, that seem commonplace to Peter and the people of the early church, but maybe not so to us. It's this idea of, look at there at the very first line. So I exhort the elders among you. Typically, if you're from Baptist circles or if you're from typically maybe uh, uh, Southern, you don't hear the word elder a lot. It's typically referred to maybe for like a Presbyterian church or a Reformed congregation maybe. The word elder isn't used a lot. It's one of those beautiful words that we see. And one of the interesting things we see is that Peter assumed the early church, remember this was written not just to one church, it was a circular letter written to multiple churches. He assumed all of them had what? Elders. Not just one, but it's a what? Plural. There was multiple elders in each of these congregations that he was writing to. But the question is, what's an elder? Now, if you've been with Calvary long enough, you've heard us, we've talked from 1 Peter and Acts and other texts of Scripture that reminded us of what elders are. But according to the New Testament, an elder is the same role as a pastor. It's used synonymously with the word pastor. But it's highlighting specifically the leadership and oversight given to God's bride, the church. So we must see, and we'll see in this text specifically today, that the role of elder or pastor is one role. With three distinct functions. So the role of a pastor is three distinct functions. One is to teach sound doctrine for the equipping of God's people. The role of a pastor is to teach sound doctrine in accordance with scripture so that the body of Christ might be built up for the work of ministry. To teach. Another one is to shepherd. Which is an interesting language. That he would call us, those who are pastors, elders, shepherds. This is what he says right here. This is his only really imperative in this whole section. Look there again with me. It says, So I exhort elders among you as a fellow elder, a witness of the partaking of the sufferings of Christ, and excuse me, a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and a partaker of the glory. Verse 2, shepherd. That's the only imperative. That's the, the command given to pastors here. Shepherd the flock. So what is he saying by this? What's interesting, he's intentionally using the language of a sheep and a shepherd. And he does so for specific reasons. Jesus calls himself the what? Good shepherd in John 10. And where Jesus is called the chief shepherd here at the end of this section. But it's the idea that part of David and I's role as elders of this church, as pastors, is to care for you more than just simply teaching you. We're to care for your souls. We're to care for your walk of life. We're to care for how you live out the truth of the gospel. We're to hurt when you sin. We're to grieve when you treat God so disdainly. We're to rejoice when we see God transforming you into the image of His Son, Jesus Christ. 
And another one is that we see there is to give oversight to God's church. And the reason I want to make sure we understand this term elder is because Peter is treating it as if they already know what this is. And you may not. So an elder is another word for a pastor. It's another phrase used by Peter and Paul all throughout the New Testament describing a pastor. And what's so interesting is that David and I, as we were discussing this text this week, it stands out to me that our culture has a misunderstanding of this beautiful relationship. Our culture has a misunderstanding of this beautiful relationship. Maybe, maybe even you, if you're a guest here this morning, if you haven't been with Calvary very long, you think a pastor is simply the paid Christian. He's the professional one. And we laugh, but that's so true. Sometimes if we're not careful, we think the pastor is simply the one who does all the heavy lifting. And that's not the language that the New Testament uses. Or or worse yet, you just treat the pastor as you give him the token call or token question when life gets a little tough. Because he's nothing more than your spiritual advisor. And that is not the way the Bible describes this beautiful relationship of an elder and his flock that he watches over on behalf of the chief shepherd. Now, I praise God because I don't think within this body there's a lot of that. I praise God because I do believe many of us and many of you understand this beautiful relationship that God gives between pastors and its congregation that they're to watch over. It's a deep relationship. It's not a superficial relationship. And again, if, we, if you've been here, we've been studying, right? And Peter says, we're no more of this superficial junk, guys. Get to know each other because life's going to get hard. And you're going to need people beside you who know you deep enough and well enough that they can speak truth and encourage you and walk beside you. This is one of the things we saw in 1 Peter 3 and 1 Peter 4. And now it spills over into chapter 5 where he's saying, and, and guess what, pastors? You don't keep them on a pedestal above you, but you don't shun them to a closet away from you either. He says they are woven into your life as a body of Christ for your good. And I pray you see David and I as those people who love you as Christ loves you. That want to walk beside you through the nitty gritty of life. We are not better Christians than you. Guess how I'm saved? By grace alone. The same way any of us are saved. And beloved, we here, any guest here, Peter has in mind something so much more than a simple, this is the guy I see on the stage on Sunday relationship. I hope you understand that. There's a reason we invite you to our table at our house. Because I want you to see that I sin and my family sins just like you do. And we struggle just like you do. And I need you as much as you need us. This is a glorious, beautiful relationship that the Lord is reminding us as Peter is exhorting these early churches in the dispersion. And really, if we're going to break down the text, it's really two key thoughts. So if you're a note taker, here's kind of how the text breaks down. Verses 1 through 4, Peter's basically calling the elders to care for God's flock in a humble manner that honors God and sets an example for the flock. Elders care for the flock is in a humble manner that honors God and sets an example. And the second point is this, others do likewise. Others do likewise. 
It's the two points that Peter has here. And remember, we've just finished the section. I know we've had five weeks off from when we've been kind of feeling that flow of the book of Peter. But we just finished the section where he looked at us and he says, I don't want you to head out into that, that world unprepared. Right? He says, there's going to be fiery trials that come against you. And he says, it's actually going to begin with my people. I'm going to purify my bride. Judgment begins at the house of God. Chapters 4, 17. And so look there with me at verse... Chapter 5, verse 1, again. Look there with me. Very first word is what? So, or therefore. You know, it's an amazing thing. Like, God in His kindness, the way He used human humans' personality and, and giftedness to write words, it's His word. And every word is there for a reason. And so the so, or the therefore, is there for specific reasons. He's like in the middle of this, everybody's going to suffer. Be prepared. Know that it's not me hating you. It's me purifying you. So be ready. Therefore, I exhort the elders. And this is really one of the few times in all of the New Testament that we have a direct exhortation other than Acts by Paul to the Ephesian elders, to the elders themselves. And he's connecting it to the thought above. And here's what I believe. If, you, if you're familiar with your Old Testament, we're called the priesthood of believers, right? He says this in, in chapter uh, 2. Who was typically the first ones to receive judgment in the Old Testament? The priests. Why? Because they were called to be the intermediary between God and man. And of the priests, the high priests, those who would set the highest example. And so one of the things I think Peter's doing here is he's looking down at those elders and he's saying, guys, guess what? You're not in an ivory tower. You're going to experience this too. Suffering is a reality. So let me encourage you. Let me encourage you. It's coming for you too. Here's the beautiful thing. I suffer... Just as you suffer. And as God refines me, and as I set an example before you, I show you too how to suffer for the glory of God. One of the interesting things, that word so, that therefore I exhort the elders among you. And interesting there, he says among you. Like he, they're intermixed. You see, shepherds should smell like what? Cheap. Because they're among them. There's a beautiful book that I had to read in seminary called Shepherds Should Smell Like Sheep. And it's the reality of pastors, you can't isolate. You've got to know your people. You've got to be in with your people. So look at me. I want you at my table. David wants you at his table. Not so that we can say, we did our checkmark of hospitality. It's not that. It's because we want to know you. We want to see your heart. I want to look into the eyes of you and say, how are you doing in fighting sin? I want to be able to look at the men, and I want to be able to look at you and say, how are you doing in loving your wife? And I don't say this as one who does it perfectly, but I say this as one who has been given the charge over God's people to love my people well. This is Peter writing this. What does Peter say? Remember the relationship with Jesus and Peter? It was a perfect relationship, right? No. Peter often had FOM disease. You know what that is? Foot and mouth disease. I guess that would be F-I-M. But he, I mean, often, but, but one of the interesting things in the Gospel of John, remember Jesus denied Christ, or Peter denied Christ three times. And Jesus died, resurrected, and he came back in. And he came back to Peter, and what did he say? Do you love me? And Peter says, Lord, you, you know I love you. And he says what? Feed my sheep. Jesus looks at him again, and he says, do you love me? Lord, you know that I love you. Tend my flock. 
He connects our love, Peter's love for Christ, to what? His body. The people of God. And now Peter is turning around towards the end of his life. He's headed to Rome. He's fixing to be crucified upside down and persecuted. And he looks at other pastors and other elders and says, If you love Christ, you must love the flock. I heard it from Christ's mouth himself. So Peter knows, he understands suffering is real. And look at the three things he says about himself. I exhort you among I, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder, as a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Basically, all three of these are linked together for a very specific purpose. He wants to look at these elders and say, I'm just like you. He doesn't say, I, an apostle, shepherd. He says, dude, I'm an elder just like you. I've been hurt by people. I've received persecution and suffering. I've seen Christ suffer. And guess what? At the end, I'm tasting the same thing you're tasting for, the revelation of Jesus Christ. That phrase we've heard six times throughout 1 Peter. He says, we are in this together. He's setting a pattern for elders. The elders don't look at the congregation and say, get it together. No, they say what? We're in this together. You are loved by your pastors. You are loved by Christ. And that might be so hard for some of you. Maybe some of you have been so hurt by former pastors, former congregations. And I am not claiming to be perfect, nor is David, nor is this church But I promise you this, if God's word says it, we will, by all the grace and spirit of God, we will walk it out before you. Don't give up on God because man has messed up. Instead, look at this beautiful pattern. He says, I, a fellow elder, one who has suffered with Christ and will suffer with you, and one who is going to partake in the glory that is revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. The only imperative in this whole text is to the elders. So maybe you're like, well, Pastor Josh, there's only two of y'all here, so why don't you just preach to David and I can go ahead and get, get to lunch a little early. But see, that's the interesting thing about the Bible. Like when it talks about like husbands certain ways and wives certain ways, it's not just for them. It's so that I also know how to pray for those people. See, one of the beautiful things we see here is God gives you a glimpse into the struggles that pastors have. And one of the ways that that we struggle is three very temptations that we see here. One of fear, one of greed, and one of pride. And so this is a, I encourage you, if if you're you're not, or maybe you're, you're a young man in this congregation and you desire the role of elder one day, know that it is not an easy role. It is the bride of Christ. It is a beautiful thing. Fathers, men, you are pastors of your homes. You are to exemplify the same type of demeanor and heart for your bride, your body, your family as I do for the body of Christ. And the only imperative is shepherd by giving oversight. Watch over, take care of, oversee, see after. Next door, uh, Two of the pastors across the street at Friendship Alliance. One of them is actually a shepherd. Like he has sheep, sheep. Like, eh, sheep. 
And one of the interesting things he, he, we, were, we were discussing, not this, this text, it was another text before, and we were discussing the idea of caring for sheep. And he says, sheep are just dumb animals. And he says, one of the things you have to be able to do is sometimes you have to go to each sheep individually and you have to look in their eyes. Because sheep tell they're sick by their eyes. By their eyes. He says you have to get in their face and you have to open their eyelids and you look into the eyes. And if it's this, if it's this color, if it's black or if it's starting to shade here, that's how you can tell this animal's sick. So if he's to shepherd well, he's to be right up in that sheep's face. And we too, as pastors, the beautiful relationship of elders and pastors and their congregation is we want to get in your face. Not to be ugly, but to see where you're sick. To see where you're hurting so that I can say, oh, do you know the balm that is Jesus? Do you know the truth of the word that is the scriptures? Do you understand the heartache that I too feel? But do you understand the victory, the imperishable, undefiled inheritance that is being guarded for you in heaven and how you also are being guarded? Pastors are for you people because Christ in his grace is for you. So we are called to shepherd the flock that is among you. What's interesting here, he talks about the heart of the pastor. Remember, he's just reminding them, you're going to suffer, you're going to have persecution, you're going to have fiery trials. And he gives him three specific heart matters. Look there with me in verse 2. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. And he does it three ways. He says, not this, by this, not this, by this. First one, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. You see, an elder's care is one of selfless humility, even in the face of fear. I don't know if you're like me. I remember when my dad, my dad, he wasn't ever a yeller, but he was just a big dude, much like myself. We have a very similar frame, right? He just had arms that used to just scare me, right? Much like Josh Hall's arms. You just walk by Josh, you're like, dang, dude. <laughs> and that was like my dad. You just, you, I just saw him and he would walk into a room and his very demeanor, and I'd be like, I'd be goofing off. And as soon as he'd walk into a room, guess what I would do? I straighten up real quick. Right? Under compulsion. It wasn't like I wanted to please my dad. I just didn't want to hurt my dad. I didn't want my dad to hurt me. But then there was this time in my life, it was probably about 15, when I began to see my dad differently. It wasn't as a hateful father. It wasn't as someone who was going to demean me because I was out of line. But it was someone who had my best interest always at the center of his heart. And when that began to change, I began to want to serve my father. I began to want to do what he asked me to do. Because my whole relationship and dynamic changed with him. And this is how Peter exhorts the church, the elders here. He says, not under compulsion. Like David and I should never say, oh, i got to go serve the body again. That Randy guy, man, he sure gets on my you-know-what. But i got to do it. Not under compulsion, but willingly. And the interesting phrase is what he says there, as God would have you. Because one of the images, men, listen to me for a second. Your children will understand God as a father by how you act as a father. Do you hear me? If you're always screaming, and they hear of a loving, kind God, who's patient and gentle. 
And we as pastors are the same way. We, should ne- we, we portray Christ to you in really bad and perfective ways. But we do so. Because that's how God would have us. Here's the thing. Christ didn't come to you. Oh, i got to go save my people. He said, oh, my people. I want you. I need you in my life. So I'm going to save you. Not need in the sense of I'm going to bring me glory. But I, I desire a people who magnify my name and worship me and find joy. And us as pastors, that's our same heart for you. We want you. David, do you want God's people to know you? Men, do you want your home? Like, do you want your family excited when you get home? It's the culture that the Bible says we can begin to create by God's grace, by His Spirit, as we humble ourselves under Him. And I pray, and I see it in some of you. Like, there was years where I didn't feel loved by the body. But the last four to five years, it's been so sweet. It is a joy to serve Calvary. It's a joy to serve you, to love you, and even say hard things to you sometimes. Not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. We don't serve out of a face of fear, like, oh no, i got to honor God, but instead we delight to. Second thing we see there in verse 2. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. See, elders' care is a selfless humility in the face of greed. I mean, this never like echoes more than right now. I mean, there are pastors that are literally doing what? Making a dime off Jesus. Making a dime off Jesus' name. And that is nothing more than, it's just wrong. I mean, we see it all over the text of Scripture. But I'll be honest with you, the inclination in all humans' heart is for more of money. And the pastor's heart is no different. And I plead with you, pray that my heart and David's heart and my family's heart would never be one that says, only if they keep paying me will I serve them. But instead, we overflow in a love for God and we eagerly give of all of ourselves, knowing He is a God whose well never runs dry. So Peter's just reminding this Group of elders that in the midst of teaching these people how to suffer well, do not do so out of greed. He moves into the struggle that all people have, including elders, and that's a heart of greed. We only do so for a paycheck. That's why I praise God for someone like David. He obviously doesn't do it for a paycheck because he doesn't get one. He's a lay elder. He's, he just serves the church because of his kindness and God's gifting upon his life and our affirmation of that. Instead, we are like Paul says and and Luke says in Acts, that it is better to give than to receive. See, that's the heart of God's people, is it not? And we as as pastors are to exemplify that for you. Next, we see the next one. Not domineering over their flock. Excuse me, not domineering over those in their charge. That's verse 3. But being examples to the flock. So not only do elders care... And humility in the face of fear, not only do we care in humility in the midst of greed, but we care in humility in the midst of pride. I've, I've always been one of those guys, I can pretty much, uh, yeah, I can get most people to do what I want them to do. By sheer, like my dad, physical persuasion. I can intimidate you. I can get you to do what I want you to do. I mean, I used to be that. Ask some of my older girls. They know that side of Josh before the Lord has transformed me. 
into a new man. And he says, that is not how God's people act. And you know why it's not how pastors act? Because it's not how Christ acts. That's why he says, no, we don't force, we don't domineer, we don't make the body of Christ do anything. He says, but instead we live by examples to the flock. And it's one of those interesting things, David, like, like we should be able to say to each other, you know, if you want to know how to be single and honor God, look at David. And I can say that to you. Young men, if you're struggling with that, look to David. He is setting you an example of how to serve God's bride in singleness. And David should be able to look to you and say, you want to know how to love your wife and sacrifice for her? Look at Josh. Look at how he loves his family. Look at how they steward their resources. And again, this is not to puff us up, is it not? But it's to say, look how beautiful Christ is. What he does. Here's the interesting thing. It's one of the same dynamics I struggle with in my home. Like, I love my wife, but my job is to help my wife love somebody more than she loves me. Which is kind of weird, is it not? Like, my job is to help Shelly love someone more than she loves me. Because Shelly will love me better than when she loves Christ more than me. My job is to one day raise my daughters so that they love someone more than they love me. What? And there's no more joy I find in life than doing that. Because Christ is the example and we, the shepherds. And now listen, men, if you desire this role, you, you, we should feel some like, whew, maybe I need to take a second thought about this. Really plead and pray. But if this is something that God's calling you to, it is a joy to serve God's bride. But there is a heart, an attitude, and it's one saturated in humility. And finally, look at verse 4. So we see that there's a, elders continue to serve in the midst of fear. Elders continue to serve in the midst of greed. Elders can serve in the midst of pride. By looking to Christ and Christ alone. Look there in verse 4 with me. Kind of gives another motivation here. He says, when the chief shepherd, who is Christ, when he appears, you will receive an unfading crown of glory. When we hear that word unfading, what should immediately our minds run to? Chapter 1, right? The, the inheritance that is awaiting. But specifically here, this is mentioning that, that pastors are, we see in James, right, that we are judged more strictly, that those who teach are judged with more strictness. And one of the beauties that, that, that does motivate David and I is that we are given a crown that's different. It's unique. It's not like the crown everyone else gives. But here's the beautiful thing. Just like you'll do with all of your crowns, guess what we'll do with all of ours? We'll throw them at the feet of Christ. Right? There's a reason that song has that in there. But it is a motivation that one day we would love for Christ to look it down at us and say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Well done. So the motivation for elders is one of a heart that's like Christ, one of a love and a care that's like Christ, one that is an intimate and deep and real relationship. So when David and I, church, when David and I come to you, when he asks you the hard questions, it's not because we're doing so out of self-righteousness. We're doing so because we love you. We're for your good. We're for your growth in the gospel. When we have you at our home, it's not so that we can check you off our boxes, so that we can say, how can we walk beside you? And we just plead for your prayers. Like David and I are the first ones to be attacked by the devil. Because as the church goes, when the pastor falls, what happens to the people in the church? 
typically goes. Leader, when the leader falls, the rest typically can follow quickly behind. So we just plead for your prayers. Your constant exhortation and just kindness that when we do have to say hard things, you understand we do so out of a heart of love. Not domineering over the flock. But willingly serving as Christ served. Look there with me at the second thing. So we see elders care for the flock in a humble way that honors God and sets an example. The word like, likewise in verse 5 is an important word. Likewise. We see it before in, in, in 1 Peter 3 where Peter's going through this list, right? If you're to, to serve in the world, you're to honor. And he starts going through this list, likewise, 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 likewise. Basically what likewise means is, okay, now church, you need to be the same way. You need to be the same way as these pastors are as they're setting an example. You need to be one who's not greedy. You need to be, be one who doesn't do things out of obligation, but out of desire and want. You need to be people who truly do not let pride rule your life. And you don't domineer people. But it's specifically, look here, it says, and it puts a key word back into the thought. It says, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, I'm in verse 5, all of you with humility towards one another. This idea of likewise, meaning he's linking all of this language before, but also you who are younger. Now, this doesn't mean only people under a certain age. So typically, one of the ways they would appoint elders in the early church was because they were what? Older. There were more, more years in the faith. There was more years of experience following God. Now, I'm not one of the oldest ones in the church. Right? But this is the, one of the realities. So when he says the word younger here, we can't think, okay, he's only talking about young people. He's talking about anyone who's not of the elder quality. So basically we say the whole church. Here's how it's put in one of the commentaries. It says, younger refers to a phrase of those not yet qualified to be elders. The youngers, those are standing in the church. Those who were not elders, that is to say, every church member be subject to the elders. What does it mean to be subject? It's one of these words we've lost in the culture, have we not? Subject, submission, these are negative, bad words. Let me ask you a question. Do you want your children to be subject to you as parents? Yes, because you're, you're for their what? Good. And in the same way, Husbands, the Bible says wives, you should be subject and and love your husbands. Why? Because husbands are ultimately going to sacrifice all of themselves for all of their family. And same relationship here within the body of Christ. See, we've lost this beauty of authority in Scripture, in society. We act like authority is bad. And the reason it's bad is because there's bad people in the world. And there's been pastors who have... Defamed the name of this, but, but this does not mean we throw out all of biblical principles because a few people have done it poorly. But there is a level of authority that the church should willingly give to those whom are gifted by God's Spirit and appointed as leaders. Now, if I lead you to sin, what do you need to do? Kick me in the rear end, right? Because it's still that beautiful role that we've been given, but we are called to be subject And listen to what he says here in verse 5. He says, clothe yourselves. Why do you think he uses the image of clothes here? Why does he use the image of clothe? Clothe yourselves, all of you, with, key phrase, humility toward one another. All of you. So he's lumping the elders back into the conversation. So elders, be humble. Church members, be what? Humble towards each other. 
Because you know what? Pride is the first thing that will destroy any relationship. You've been there, haven't you? You've been there with that, that other person where that person's really prideful and they're unwilling to heed or listen. Or you're very prideful and you're unwilling to receive instruction or any of those things. And the beauty of what God does is God's people are a humble people. God's people love instruction. God's people even love, at times when necessary, rebuke. We love to be corrected by God's word in accordance with God's word so that he will transform us into the image of his son. And humility is a necessary component that we're clothed with. And look at this closing phrase as he quotes from Proverbs here. He says, for God opposes the what? Proud. Oh, but he gives grace to the humble. Praise God, he is in the business of humbling his people, and he does so so that he can lavish more grace on them. Think about that for a second. If you're prideful and God does something, at the end, you might think what? I did that. God just gave me what I was due. That's the opposite of grace, by the way, right? Grace is receiving something that you do not deserve, which is the love and affections of God, which is his forever blessings upon you. But instead, he says, I oppose the proud. He says, but I give grace to the humble. And the beautiful thing is, he says that I will humble you. We talked about it, I can't remember, sometime during the last month. That the broken and contrite heart, God by no means will turn away. We're going to see this humbleness kind of um, dug out some more in the midst of this text in verse 6 next week. But as we close, let me just, let me encourage you to think about something. We're about to take the Lord's Supper. All right? And the Lord's Supper is a representation of what? There's two elements in it, right? There's the bread and then there's the, the fruit of the vine. All right? We serve grape juice. What are, they, what are they a portrait of, brothers and sisters? The sacrifice of Christ, the body that was broken for the, for, for, so that we might be restored one day that was resurrected, the blood that was shed in accordance to the language of the New Testament for the new covenant, for the forgiveness of sins. And who gives these elements? Who gives the elements? David and I do. And it's not by chance that we're the ones who give this. We believe this is the pattern established by Scripture. That we stand here, and we, when you come to us, I'm looking at you in the eyes. And I'm saying, body broken for you. And David gives you the juice and he says, blood poured out for the forgiveness of sins for the new covenant. Because we're in this together. This is, this is because one of the things the Bible says is that when someone doesn't come to the table, it's because they've been removed. Right? Because they've been disciplined, the Bible says this language. And so the table is a portrait of this very thing. So when you come to David and I, we don't hold the keys to the kingdom, by the way. We don't hold the keys to the kingdom, but we come as those who lead this church to Christ-honoring beliefs. And we come, and look, I want to know you. I want to know your sins. I want to know your struggle. I want to know where you're gifted. I want to know where you're needing help understanding God's goodness. So that when I give you this element, I can say, oh, God, I know how you've changed this person. They were once so bitter. Praise God, they're not. And you did that, God. You did that. Men, 
Begin to exemplify to your homes this very pattern of one who does not walk in fear, one who does not walk in greed, and one who does not walk in pride. David, begin to serve the body of Christ and shepherd them as God has called us to. Members, all of us, let us walk in humility to one another. For this is a gift to all of us. The relationship of a pastor and his people. May we celebrate this gift even as we struggle in it. Would you close with me as we pray? Thanks for listening in to today's message. For more information about our church, feel free to visit us at calvarybcmoultrie.com. We hope you will join us again next time. Until then, grace and peace.